0: This week on the Back Table Podcast.
1: I mean, it was it was a tough deal. It was a, it was a a lot of bad decisions I got made. And but the thing that really haunts me is and like that would, I mean, I have to admit, that's one of the things that shapes me as an IR doc now. Like if I have a complication, I don't care who it is, like I'm on that patient and that's now my patient. I don't need another consult. I don't need to someone to put in an order for what I'm about to do. Right. I, you know, I don't, I don't care about anything. I'm just gonna do what I think is right. And, you know, that was one of the experiences that kind of shaped me as a a young IR doc. I mean, that happened in my first six months, actually.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, backtable.com, and wherever you find your podcasts. This is Aaron Fritz as your host this week, and I'm very excited to introduce to bring on our special guest once again, the back table hosts for another special survey episode. Uh, welcome, guys. Real quick, let's go, let's go around and, and just uh, introduce yourself. Tell, tell us where you're at today. Sabine.
0: Hey, guys. I'm Sabine Dond. I'm, uh, I'm actually at the hospital at uh, PIH Health in LA. So coming to you live from here. Mike.
3: Michael Barraza, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The Michael Barraza. Uh, Baton Rouge. <laughs> Chris.
1: Yes. Chris Beck. I am in New Orleans, Louisiana. Rainy, rainy afternoon. Uh, coming to you guys from the NO.
2: Yeah, we got a bunch of rain today in Dallas, too, but a bunch of thunderstorms. It's crazy. Well, here.
0: Uh, what's rain? <laughs> That's right, California. Or, you know, the, I don't think I've seen a raindrop in LA. And like, like radiologist reaction years. is
3: that I literally have no idea. It, it could be hurricanes outside of right. it. No idea because there are no windows where I work. Uh, In the IR department.
2: It may have rained here. Who knows? So I am going to screen share our survey results from the complication survey, which our guests may remember from about uh, about a month ago. We put out to see kind of, uh, you know, to get some information about how can you guys see this? Yep. Well, what was nice about the survey is we kind of changed it up a little bit. We want to get some more information about our audience and the people that tune in. Um, so the first question was, "Describe your current position." Uh, so attendings made up of about seventy two percent, which is great. That's kind of uh, what you know what we imagine our audience is made up of. Uh, Residents was about thirteen percent, and then we had you know some trainees, a uh, phlebologist, uh, <laughs> an interventional radiologist. <laughs>
1: Was
2: What? That w- that was you, Michael? What? Are you the <laughs> one dermatologist? Not- we have a physician assistant, a phenom vascular surgeon. At that's got to that be is. my.
3: That's got to be my guy, Brian Fisher. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> awesome.
2: And then uh, some nurses. Uh, so mostly, uh, it sounds like attendings, uh, but we're not quite sure if this is all IR or vascular surgery or cardiology. Sure. Or, you know, makeup of all three of those. Current work environments, hospital was made up the most of it. Academic settings made up about about a third. Private practice was about a a third. And uh, OBLs was about 13%. And then we had one VA person. Nice. How many years out of training? So let's see. Greater than 10 is about 30%. And 6 to 10 is 13%. Three to six years out is fifteen uh, percent. So a nice variety pretty, here, and then about nice even
0: spread. Yeah, like an yeah, yeah a nice an even cross Section nice. in terms yeah. of
2: seniority, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then so here's where we get into the meat of the survey, which is all about you know we wanted to get some information about complications and kind of talk about that, and just to let everybody know, um, you know, we're going to talk about the survey on this episode and, and talk about some some of our own personal experiences, but we are planning on having, um, some of our own mentors and, and, uh, guests come on in the, in the following months to talk, uh, through some complication stories, uh, much like the episode that we did with Maureen Kohi and, and Sonny Bagla about a year ago. Uh, which is amazing. We did that, what's, what'd you say, Mike? Which was amazing. It was a great, great episode. episode. Yeah. And, um, as you can imagine, I think it led a lot of people to think like this, this should be talked about more and, um, and I think we can all agree, and we'll see from this survey, everybody agrees that we should be talking about this stuff more. But, uh, so let's go ahead and jump into the, the the meat of the survey. How many major complications would you say you've experienced in your career? Okay, so we define this as a treatment-related adverse event requiring further therapy with an increase in the level of care or prolonged hospitalization, which I believe we, got, we grabbed that definition from SIR, right, Chris? Sure, uh, could. yeah,
1: I think we borrowed that uh nomenclature from the classification system for complications. Yeah. Um, so that, that doesn't um, sound like just something we would have made up, and I'm looking so, at it now, it's pretty close.
2: So, here was Michael's response, yeah, Never have I ever? And then, <laughs> um, including pneumothorax, it's a lot I we, I think we could all say that, right? Yeah, for pneumothorax greater than 25, says that's a good amount. Um, that's probably our more seasoned docs, hopefully. Uh, it was 4%. 16 20 to 25 was 13%. And, um, you know, the largest, the lion's share was people having one to five. And I think that corresponds to our audience tends to be like that zero to five years out. When not you guys say? Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess. I
1: I find even like when I filled this out, I think that I, I think I selected maybe one to five or five to 15. But like, as I'm kind of thinking about it, like, you know, getting ready for this podcast, I think you just have either, like, I think some people's personality, like, you kind of suppress some of these um, complications, I, I think anyway, but maybe, I know there are a handful that stick in my mind, but there are a lot that uh, kind of came to my mind as I was always thinking about stories that I know weren't on the forefront of my mind when I filled out the survey.
3: Yeah, and you also have to, I, I basically categorize differently complications based on clinical scenario, because we've all been called to do procedures as last-ditch efforts. It's part of our job as interventional radiologists. And in some of these patients, um, a good outcome would just be a Hail Mary. Uh, you know, we're any number of scenarios where you're asked to do a procedure where, you know, it's just kind of like the, the final thing we do to see if we can save the patient. And and sometimes those, you know, I, I see those complications as – as different events than I do, you know, the ones that, that happen unexpectedly on a young, healthy patient that is, is either an unfortunate circumstance or an error on my part.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I'll, <clears throat> I'll also compartmentalize mine. Like I was thinking about one, uh, as we were coming on the podcast, where it's like a two centimeter lung nodule guy with renal cell mets biopsied, massive hemoptysis I mean, yeah. afterwards that had a, then went on to have a pneumothorax and he had a, like a prolonged inpatient stay. But you know, there wasn't, And like when you look back at the case, there's not anything I could have gleaned differently or anything I would have really done differently. And so like in my mind, I compartmentalize that into like, you know, not a lot to glean from that clinically. And that was just, you know, the the cost of doing business.
3: Agreed. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think there's two kind of categories of complications is uh, the complications like that definition and then the complications that are, you know, really change the course of that patient's care. Right. I mean, like yours back... Yeah, that that happened, and I'm sure the patient did fine. And um, you know, yeah, the, the hospital was prolonged, but did it okay. But then there's some, you know, each of us who know that that, you know, maybe you cause some some major morbidity or, or mortality, and those are the ones that you probably remember. Uh, selecting one to five, you know, those those are scary.
2: Yeah, yeah I t- mean, you you always remember the the people that have you know that where where death occurs. You know, other things. I mean, you guys see. Mike, you and Sabine are are treating stroke patients. So, you know, that gets tricky because those are real, a lot of those are Hail Marys, right? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, um, that's one.
3: I struggle with that a lot because, uh, you know, the, the big thing that we see after stroke cases uh, and it's almost, you know, it's really hard to predict are people who get bad brain hemorrhage. You know, I, mean, I remember right. the first one I ever did, I was so proud i nailed it i got a just an absolutely perfect angiographic result and i was just swimming in uh self-pride and you know i go check on the page the next day and he's just like comatose and you know ct there's just this massive hemorrhage and the guy died uh Uh. and and that that's, that's one of the hardest things about doing stroke cases i love it but it is just so hard to predict you know Who's going to have something like that happen it's you know and, and when it does happen it's rarely rarely is it something you did wrong it's just how this person i mean it's, a lot of it's case selection but a lot of it is also just how that person responds to your procedure
2: right yeah and so that jumps into our next question how many of your major complications resulted in death or severe morbidity uh, about a third said none so i guess they were most of these, who they were talking about were were basically um you know pretty- pretty much prolonged hospital stays or, or or complications that led to to further procedures severe morbidity i guess what you know we we talked about stroke being one of them um you know paralysis what what other examples of severe morbidity can you guys think of
1: a lot of times i think about like uh Sabine this must come up like yeah with revascularization procedures like loss of limb or yeah. Maybe not even, maybe not the whole limb, but, you know, maybe if you lose a toe or something.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you, you kind of have to set expectations. Like, I mean, you were talking about stroke, Mike, and then in revask, I mean, you know, it's, it's about setting the expectations because, totally. yeah, you're going to lose some stuff. I mean, and, and part of that is part of the procedure. I guess you can, it's part and parcel of the procedure, really. You know, the toe might be already gone, so that's going to get lost, but a, a patient might Conceive that as a as a complication.
3: So right. let me take a second and ask you guys a question. Because something that I have struggled with is, uh, and something that has changed—I wouldn't say struggled—something that has changed a lot for me in the last eight years or so is how much of this stuff of potential complications I present when explaining a procedure to a patient. You know, when I talk about a stroke, I'm very clear about that. You know, there's a high risk of hemorrhage, and I can't I can't tell you if it's going to happen or not. But you know, there are certain Complications that come up so infrequently, you know. I, I I try to be clear with patients, you know. That, but I don't want to tell every patient, you know, hey, I'm I'm going to be doing a uh, epidural steroid injection. One of the risks is death. Sure, uh, sure. Somebody's probably yeah. died from that, but you know, not planning on that happening to me.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I I we, I, admit, we, I, I just talk about the most common complications. On my procedure, if it's if it's an angio, I talk about groin hematoma and and infection or something, you know, a pre- pretty quick review of complications. And I talk to them.
1: I mean, well, this, like I think yes. we could do a whole podcast on the informed yeah. consent. Um, Great idea. But I'll just. Yeah, right. That is a good idea. Um, I'll just share my experience in that I usually anything that's like written on the paper um, that I, like we have some pre filled uh, consent forms or like if I thought enough to write it in, I usually mention it. And then you know it's kind of fingers crossed that the patient doesn't want to drill down on that that thing that's just so uh, uncommon that you know it, it unnerves them to do the procedure, which can happen. But really, like I'll I'll say all of them. Uh, relatively quickly, I'll drill down on the ones that are the most important for like, you know, lung biopsy. We have like death included in our um, informed consents because I don't know if anyone's else, like this is probably a good complication to talk about. Like when you go and biopsy that like, you know, just normal looking pulmonary nodule and the patient like codes and dies on the table. Have you guys had that? Or like it someone has haven't seen that. That. to someone in had every had hospital it, I've, I've, I've
3: ever worked. What's Everyone has that? a horror story about somebody they know who had a patient yeah. die during a lung biopsy. Right.
1: Right. Um, and, and so like going back to that informed consent, so I'll, I'll actually say all of those things. And then I kind of have a summary statement that I do a lot to like, kind of put them at ease. And so this is like when the moment, like, you know, I'll touch them on the elbow or touch them on the shoulder. And I say, look, it's a low risk procedure. It's not zero risk procedure. A lot of these complications rarely come up. Um, but the one that we need to be worried about today is like, you know, a collapsed lung, all the other things rarely happen in our clinical practice.
2: Right. And, and, you know, you're talking to the patient, correct? Yeah. Yeah but the 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 family i guess you know it a lot you guys change your conversation when it's just the patient by themselves or the patient with the family mm-hmm. because a lot of times it's the family that you have to go talk to when you have a complication right so i don't know i just feel i find myself when the when the patient has family there i a lot of times will spend more time with them because, so that the family understands if especially with lung biopsies and stuff like that because you know, you're, the patient a lot of times is sedated and you're, you're scrambling, you put the chest tube in and you get them squared away, but you have to go, you know, talk to the family and really spend the most time with them, telling them what happened and everything, helping them understand that they're going to be spending the night in the hospital and all this. Sure. Sure. So anyway, I, I did want to chime in on what Chris was saying though, in that I think that I was always trained to include death. You write death down, right? To say, hey, look, it's extremely rare. But severe morbidity, whatever it be, loss of limb, paralysis, something like that, or death, can happen in any procedure. And so that's the way I always yeah. kind of talk about it. You know, it could be a drug reaction. Yeah, it's reaction. hard.
0: I, I I definitely don't mention death in all and and <clears throat> major major morbidity. I, I I don't mention that in all my informed consents. Although I think that is a risk of any
2: procedure. And 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 I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's almost just... more from the sedation than anything. If you think about it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's more from the sedation than like blood loss, right? Yeah, um, it's gotta
1: anyway. be. I mean I mean, depending on the procedure. But yeah. I, I'm with Sabine. I don't I don't think I'll actually come out and say death unless it's a procedure in which I think there's a legitimate case, like they're gonna yeah. be dying. Or if it's or a procedure. Right.
2: Yeah. All right. So this is good. I like this question. How many of these complications did you attribute to your own personal error versus other yeah, factors? Well, right. Who came up yeah. with these questions? That's a great one. Wink. I think it was. We all did. I think we all contributed. <laughs> you know, questions. I think it was and Aaron there. and Chris. And, I think that one was me. think that one was Me. I didn't. I us. did
3: not come up with that question. As much as that I would love question. to
2: take the credit,
0: it was that's,
1: a team effort. That, right.
0: that yeah. Uh, that was always. Question. I can go with that. And and I think it takes a pretty humble person to answer that question honestly.
2: Right. I mean. Um, yeah. I mean, most people. Okay. So one to five. Oh, none. Okay. So about a quarter, are just. You know, those those are our egomaniacs right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> then, um, that's just me, or early, early that's just on. me
3: hitting that button ten times.
0: <laughs> I think, you know, in my personal opinion, the the cases that have gone the worst, that have had the worst complications, are really actually come down to my own personal error. I, I, I think um, some error in the case, and that that was it was not just like a by chance thing. It's the ones I can remember.
1: I think those are the ones that I mean for me Sabine like I, I think there is a negativity bias that sticks with you on those cases where you can yeah. go back and say if I had done x yeah you, yeah. you know You're you could right. have gotten a different right. result totally but I know I know I, I certainly can attribute a cur- uh, a couple of uh, cases to my own personal error that's for sure
2: well that's the way I see it is then by definition those are your complications if if somebody else was responsible then you know i mean even if it's like a nurse or tech yeah you're the physician but it's really their (laughs) complication and you're helping to try and you know yeah
0: or the other thing is like it's something that happened that that can't happen like an angioplasty that ruptures and you know it's yeah it it goes bad so that that's not you know necessarily your you know personal error you know you probably would have done the same thing it's just bad luck
1: yeah, right. that, that's how I read it. That, that's You how bring I read up this an question an important is...
3: point, Aaron. It's, it's your complication, regardless of where it happens. And, you know, a, a lot of, you know, you, you see a lot of surgeons and hospitals in general, you know, are, are very selective about which procedures they're going to do and on whom because, you know, they, they, they follow so closely the, the data, like the outcome data. And, and you know, you want to have the good numbers for that. That is something that we don't really have as part of our practice, you know, we don't have the, you know, we don't have set guidelines for percentage of, of complications, things like that that occur. Um, and so we see a lot of patients in dire scenarios and in, in end-of-life care uh, where we, as a, you know, said earlier, we have to do a lot of last-ditch efforts, you know, an embolization here, can you put a drain here, He's septic, something like that. And I don't know about you guys, but like I I find myself, you know, at least every other week where I have somebody in my room who, you know, whether or not I do my procedure or not could die like at at any given moment or, you know, could, you know, need coding at that moment. And you don't want to be the last place that the patient goes, you know, you don't want them coming down there to die. It's like it happens in there. Uh, I don't know. Am I the only one who has to deal with that?
2: No, that, that reminds me of a story, Michael, um, that, uh, I was telling my mentor me? all about, uh, <laughs> I thought I was your mentor. <laughs> I'm four years older than you. I know. I uh,
3: just, I had to.
2: So anyway, I was telling him the story about this G tube that it was just a run-of-the-mill G tube, you know, somebody had suffered from a stroke and, and needed, you know, failure to thrive. And, uh, you know i put the g-tube in procedure went smoothly no issues guy goes back up to um he was actually in day surgery he was actually an outpatient procedure but he wasn't he wasn't with it he had come from a nursing home and next thing i know I, i'm probably doing my you know following procedure and my nurse grabs me and says hey you um you know mr so-and-so your g-tube he's coding i was like oh so you know i take my gloves off Um, and I I run up there and, uh, you know, they're coding him, the anesthesiologist who, uh, I knew from the hospital, you know, came out and he said, look, you know, he's, he just, um, we don't know what happened, but his pressure dropped and they tried to revive him. And, uh, but I, I think they ended up discovering that he was, he ended up being DNR and he passed away. And I, um, went to talk to the family, the, the daughter and the son and, uh, they were like, you know, he was, had just had enough. I, I don't think it was anything that you did. I think that he was just end of life, and you know, we're we're kind of kicking ourselves for even putting him through that, uh, having the G tube done. And I, I was young, I was a very young attending, like first year out, and I I hadn't heard anybody kind of say that before, and I felt so bad that he had passed away under my care. And my I, when I told my mentor about it, he said, "Aaron." why did you do the G-tube to begin with? You know, you should have talked to the referring doc and said, hey, is this really necessary? You know, and you should have evaluated the patient and not. it shouldn't have just been a run-of-the-mill G-tube. And I, I, in retrospect, you know, I agree with them. And, and I think after that, I've been a lot more... And it, it's hard. You guys know this. I mean, it's very you know, hard. physicians very push hard. for the... They've pushed for it. Families push for it. And they don't know that it's a it's a tough procedure to put people through, especially elderly people who are malnutritioned Um, and it can push them to the limit to, to death. And so you have to have that honest conversation with them. And um, that was the first time, that was my first death that was under my care, immediately under my care. And it, it may be really kind of pushed back more to uh, on those kinds of cases.
1: Well, I think that's a tough spot. Like the, the mentor saying that, I mean, I, I get that. Um, Maybe in retrospect, that was a patient to push back on. But I mean, I can think about a a lot of cases that come up exactly like that, where I mean, to to suss out like all the social dynamic things would, you know, could take you potentially hours. And I mean, it's this is just like the whole issue of, of practicing medicine is that you have imperfect and incomplete information and, you know, you just have to be okay with that. I, I think this is a scenario where you could have painted it a totally different picture and, and you know, nine times out of 10, that outcome is fine. So I don't yeah. know if I would be so hard yeah, about I completely... pushing back on the referring doc or the patient's family.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Chris. I mean, it's just how many times have you had that old person G-tube and I mean, it goes fine. I mean, that's the whole reason they want to put them on hospice and not with an NG tube down their, their nose. So. Right. You do it and uh um yeah, it's a brutal procedure. It's I don't know how we get away with, with putting that uh sixteen to twenty French tube in primarily, but I, uh,
2: well, it's hard. It's, I, uh uh yeah, and I, I say push back, but what I mean is actually just have a conversation about it. Actually treat it like a consult and not just a like yeah. another paracentesis on the board where you you don't True. even talk to anybody about it. That's but that's, that's, that's really a what very I mean, hard and that's really part. what my mentor was getting at, I think.
1: I see. That's a very I, and, hard and then,
2: part of our job.
1: Yeah, I, I totally yeah. get that. I mean, I, I think that's like the move towards IR. Can I go back to something that Michael said a little bit ago about um, like our complications don't get tracked that often. We don't have like a set threshold for complications. I think like I look at the SIR forum. I think some guys are getting tracked either. Either they track in their practice and also get the impression that some people are tracked. You know, like in the SAR forum, like I feel like I've seen some complaints about pneumothoraces rates, like, you know, admin will give them a hard time about that. But I think we I think for a lot of the common procedures, if you go back and look at some of the SAR guidelines, like the QI guidelines, they will have like complication thresholds. We just usually don't pay it. I mean, you know, those aren't the papers I often look at to know the complication thresholds. I mean, you know, you look at them once.
3: My point was that we have less of a choice in. Ideal case selection in some scenarios compared
2: to a spine surgeon, for sure.
0: Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. 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 We can. I mean, how often do you say no? Uh, very rarely. Infrequently. You know I, mean? right. I don't know. I feel like I say no. No,
3: infrequent. I don't do much at all.
2: <laughs> Chris, you have a special. <laughs> your 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 group is special in that you guys get away with. I think a lot. You were telling me about your call. You compare your call to Sabine's call. So, I mean, how many cases did you do this last weekend? Like fifteen, you know, fifteen or sixteen cases. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> All right, that's true. Um, that's well, brutal. I I, like I, I was going back. Like, I I do have actually have the benefit of like have, practicing at two different places. One's a little bit more high maintenance than the other. Um, but I don't know. Saying saying no, I don't even give it a second thought these days. I I get the consult. I put my note in I'll get a recall from the referring doc or I'll call the referring doc and if we disagree I just tell the guys I'm like I'm like if you disagree put it in the note I'll be happy to reconsider depending if the clinical situation changes I are signing off and then like drop out just drop that Yeah mind. I think
2: it just depends on the culture of the hospital and and the mm-hmm. people you know and where um, you and are relationships Yeah sure. where
3: you are in your career and in the yep. hospital I'm I'm still new at a hospital right. these are relationships you totally make and You know, it's hard for me, as a new person in this hospital, I mean, this is something every single trainee who's listening to this is going to deal with. You go to a new hospital, and, you know, you want to make good uh, clinical relationships with these people, and they ask you for a favor on the weekend, and, you know, you should go into that being inclined to say yes, if it's appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a whole lot easier for me to say no in five years, but... (laughs) Right. Yeah. Get a little experience yeah, earn in your that belt.
0: reputation. Yeah. 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 It's totally true. I mean, especially when you're beginning out, you kind of have to be a quote unquote yes man. yes man. Yeah. 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 I mean yeah, taller like, yes. new hires, you know? You have
1: yeah, to be I think yes like man, I think you know right. I think like especially so. when you're a new hire, yes is the, the default answer. But I will say that I think there's there's an art to saying no. I don't think it gets yeah. taught that well. Like I remember so I, I trained at Georgetown and like they hammered into us like be clinical, be clinical, be clinical. You're not just getting an order, you're getting a referral. You're getting a consult. They hammered it into us and we would go, we would see the patient. I would say no in the chart in my attendings routinely. I hate to throw Georgetown on the bus, but I think it happens, would cut my legs out from under me and then we would end up doing the case. And I think, I mean, I i think that, look, if, if you're saying yes, because you have added information and there's something, you know, you want to consider that maybe a trainee is not considering or, you know, sometimes referring docs can throw some new information your way. But if it's a no, I think that it takes some uh resolve to like get comfortable saying no and and disagreeing with like other smart people in the room but but i I agree with sabine and michael on this one that like when you're coming out uh there's two two good pieces of advice we tell our new guys is that you know your default should be yes and don't kill anyone in the first year yeah yeah which is probably
2: the the time when you're most likely to kill somebody yeah
1: can anyone can i mean i had a a complication um that resulted in uh mortality in my first year can anyone say that on this yeah
2: well i mean the g2 but you know that was uh uh, i had one too
1: yeah
3: yeah Yeah. i had a i had a patient die before i started a case that doesn't
1: count in my room yeah (laughs) i i wrote this one down and and, it's in my room on the table okay i i have one that i mean i'll go ahead and tell it but it still it still haunts me and and it says a lot about like where i was my first year and it's just a series of just really bad and i think some people are going to listen to it and cringe but you know that's you know that's just just the way it is i was asked to do a thoracentesis on a loculated effusion that really didn't have any business needing to be drained patient can't come down. It's an ICU patient. So we could into do a bedside. The positioning's not really great. And like the, the loculated effusion that we're going for is really not that big. So like that is more of a testament to that. I was just saying yes. And I thought like what can go wrong on a thora immediately clip an intercostal artery going in and, you know, ha- have hemothorax. And I think that a lot of people, like, I think if you do enough thoras or if you're in the a business of, you know, having like kind of a pulmonary practice, that this is going to happen. Like it's happened to me since then. But what really, like, I'll I'll never forget is like, I didn't have the courage to like, tell the referring doc, like, this is now my patient. I'm taking him to Angio. I said, I called the referring doc. who was a very nice guy. He's an internist. And I said, I'm going to take this guy to Angio. I I probably wasn't that firm, but I was like, I think this guy needs to go to Angio. I think I need to fix it. He was, he was a very senior guy. And he's like, he's like, I think you've done enough. I think I'm going to consult cardiothoracic surgery long and short of it is I just oh. didn't have the guts to like say like no this is this is my patient now I know it's like the patient needs cardiothoracic surgery who, also a good guy crazy. I know so everyone decided to sit on it and it was kind of like this patient oh. like that was kind of like waxing and waning oh, and then man. but it was a, a steady downhill climb and after two weeks they died and like well, that, yeah you, know.
0: you you were fighting a cultural battle battle there though I mean the, the fact that the referring physician kind of that, that that's a tough situation man that you was, know and it and, was a and, and tough in the beginning yeah. of your career to have that kind of confidence right. to then disagree with a referring decision, I think is is very hard I oh, don't know
1: well I mean it was it was a tough deal it was a it was a a lot of bad decisions I got made and but the thing that really haunts me is in like that would I mean I have to admit that's one of the things that shapes me as an IR doc now like, if I have a complication, I don't care who it is. Like, I'm on that patient and that's now my patient. I don't need another consult. I don't need to want someone to put in an order for what I'm about to do. Right. I, you know, I don't I don't care about anything. I'm just going to do what I think is right. Yeah. And, you know, that was one of the experiences that kind of shaped me as a, a young IR doc. I mean, that happened in my oh, first crazy. six months, actually. It's so. a
3: shame that that is, why, is how we learn so well. It's by the mistakes that we make. It's what I tell mm-hmm. my kids. Like, oh, you made a mistake. That's how we learn. And you know nobody remembers any cases better than they remember the the ones oh, that no. went poorly. They could they could do over again, and and that's why it's important to have these conversations.
0: I think. Um, I mean, that's why I'm so glad we're doing this. I, I, honestly, we can all say that you learn the most from complications. Uh, you know, there are some IR uh, meltdown meetings that are that are really cool to attend. You know, uh, there there was one in Colorado. A couple of years back, and everything—it's and just people show and, and learn from from uh, their own mistakes, and, and you know you can really learn from others like that. So those are good ones to attend.
2: Yeah, the the other key thing along that, uh, Chris, is regardless if you're gonna make you're gonna you know you obviously you own you want to own the patient, take care of that complication, but you need to like it's very very important to communicate that complication to the referring doc because i made that mistake where i went uh handled it myself involved other physicians talked to the family and i completely forgot to communicate it to the doc who sent uh the patient to me in the first place and uh that's a surefire way to, to burn a bridge or lose yeah uh, have them lose faith in you for sure because you know they were like you know it, it's like they, they were completely out of the loop and And I thought I was covering all my bases and I I, I forgot. It's almost, it's probably as important as talking to the family. Um, You want to, because the referring doc, they, you know, they feel responsible for their patient's care as well. So if you don't communicate it, it's not going to look good on your part, especially if things get worse.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Feels like it starts to feel like a cover up. Yeah.
0: yeah, Exactly. Communication is hard and it's also, you're kind of embarrassed. And, 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 you know, you don't, you don't want to tell. Like, we had an incident in, in our practice where there was a big bleed. It wasn't intercostal, it was pulmonary. But, uh, you know, we handled it ourselves. And we, the patient went to the ICU, but we never um, talked to cardiothoracic surgery. And overnight, the cardiothoracic surgeon got a call at, like, 3 a.m. He had no idea about the case. The patient was, like, becoming more, just a little bit unstable. And he was pissed the next day that he didn't even know but, you know, it was like, the, the you know, my partner just didn't think to call him just to keep him in loop. You know, so mm-hmm. it's just, you know, you don't because you don't want to tell people, like, what's going on, especially if you right. fix the problem. You know, but it's important to communicate and have everyone because you just build relationships.
2: Um, for sure. You know, Yeah, it, it goes a long way in building those relationships, for sure. Yeah. All right, so the next question, and then we'll get into some of the um, comments that people left. How do we think as investor and interventional specialist Uh, how do we think that we as specialists grade when it comes to talking about complications with anyone ever? Uh, So most people thought that uh, we did not talk about it enough about, this looks like maybe about a quarter said that we do talk about it enough. um, And nobody said too much reaching out to colleagues, but it was about 50, 50 about Mm -hmm. half of us think that it's enough and about half think that it's not enough. I don't know. I, I mean, I think this is something you learn over time. I think that yeah, like it's part, to, it comes lot,
0: down to your personality. I mean, right. when I have mm-hmm. a complication. I talk about it. With yeah, with my for whole, sure. You know, I just, like I, I need to vent almost. I need to be like, yes. hey, what you, like, "This is what happened, and and am I dumb? Or am I bad? You know?" Right. It's kind of nice to talk right. about it.
1: Yeah. And, but one of the one of the, one of the things I will say is like I, I think like for all the new hire, or really anyone who's out in practice. I think you need to cultivate like a, a network of people that you can have yeah. like a safe space to talk about complications because totally agree. it's it's yeah it's not always like that uh, like I don't think like I don't just go air my yeah. complications to anyone I mean yeah.
3: I had that uh, Steve Young in my first job was that guy for me and man he he was so vital to me in my first three years out anytime anything happened just like I didn't have to. I didn't have to make myself sound good. You know, I didn't have to worry how it came off. I could just tell them like what happened, how I felt. And it was like, to me, it was, I I needed it, man. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, that's a, that's a great tip. I don't think I've really heard that tip ever being verbalized to people, you know, coming out, being like, look, create a, create a network where you can talk to people, you know, whether it's bouncing ideas or bouncing complications. It may be your fellowship class or, or it might be some, friends that you know you met at a conference but uh, you know that that's a really really you know you know high level tip and,
3: and I, I should clarify say, i meant steve young the interventional radiologist and not the former 49ers nfl <laughs> quarterback
1: oh i thought you were that cool oh, no.
3: that would have been pretty
1: impressive either one of those guys i think would be good resources though yeah. they're both nice guys <laughs>
2: But yeah, the definitely the people that you were in the trenches with like um my co-fellow Robbie Morrison, we we uh, exchange stories and and also uh David Field who I did residency with, you know. But you are right. It's, it's the the people in the trust tree, right, that uh yep. that you can count on for sure. Yeah. I trust you guys, so. You not know, Michael Barraza. Do not trust that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> All right. So, and then uh you know, this was kind of the one of the things i think maureen cohee was getting at in her episode seeking help or therapy to deal with the emotional aftermath of complications so um as maureen was talking about it, it you know it it takes a toll on you especially uh, when you're young attending or even a trainee um when you haven't had many complications and it is important to talk to somebody about it i'm thankful in that i have a wife who is also a physician and you know we we can come home and kind of trade stories and and that that definitely helps. But you know sometimes it goes beyond that. You know, like you were you know especially if you've dealt with a death that's that's you really feel you know responsible for. Um, and and professional help might be the best the next best step for that. I guess some most you know basically the recap is most people thought that we don't we don't seek help enough. This is another. Really important one is supporting one another through malpractice claims, uh, because not only is mm. the event itself crazy stressful, but you have to re- relive that event through a malpract malpractice claim over and over again. That's that's got to be super stressful. And uh, there is a podcast that exists out the there. L word, yes, the L word, which is very good by Gita Pensa. But that's an excellent. It's it's like. 11, it's 11 or 12 episodes, but she goes through A to Z because she went through the process. She brings on other people who've gone through the process and Mm -hmm. um, really helps de-stress the situation.
1: Yeah, I think she's an ER doc and uh, went through a case and basically she walks you through everything and then talks to experts in the field, like every step of the way, like of the litigation process. Wow, that's cool. Oh, it's it's an awesome podcast. And, you know, just from being in the biz, I'll tell you, I think she does a really good job on production too.
2: Yeah. For sure. Oh yeah, she's really good. Okay, so let's jump into some of the the comments that people left. Uh, one was uh, in your est- uh, these are free form comments. Uh, in your estimation, what was the what was your worst complication? So we have death. We've talked about one person mentioned severe hemorrhage after a percutaneous liver biopsy. The patient required subsequent embolization and nearly coded on the table. I had uh, severe hypotension. So there, that that's what, you know another one. of Your kind of bread and butter cases mm-hmm. that can go awry pretty pretty quickly. Uh, one page, one person had a DVT die on the table right in front of me because of me. That sounds pretty bad. Yeah. P another PE that led to death. Some uh, another comment was uh, someone did the wrong procedure. They did a colostomy tube instead of an internal external biliary mm-hmm. drain. That could be pretty. I would just say
1: like the, I'll just say the wrong site, wrong procedure complications, uh, if you can classify them as that are, I mean, those are the ones that just stick with you until the absolute end. I, I, not that, not that I don't pile on all my complications and terrible things, but I was doing an SI joint injection and it was for, uh, a left sided SI joint injection. We did the right side. There were a couple of reasons it happened. Like we did a lot of things right to like keep it from happening. But in the end, the wrong joint got injected. And the patient was totally cool with it. I mean, he was like, look, the other side kind of hurts me. I was going to have that one done anyway. But in, in the world of procedures, SI joint injections, left, right is not a big deal. But I mean, you know, it still was very much a big deal in terms of like, that's not the procedure he had signed up for.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's got to be really. It's
0: uh, I like, you know, pretty much a year ago, I remember I almost did the wrong leg unknowingly for for a vascularization because, you know, we decided the leg and everything was all set up and a grade. I mean, when you see it, everything's just kind of draped over, right? You just see a groin. And I was about to stick it and my nurse is like, aren't we doing the right leg? And I was like, oh, like it was just, it was literally as I was about to put Lido. And I mean, that was just like a rush of adrenaline, you know? Oh my gosh. Uh, it luckily yeah. did not, but I, I would have 100% done an angio. I would have found disease on that side and did a procedure on a wrong leg. And just was the patient awake? Uh patient was under a
2: GA. Oh, okay. Well, at least yeah. they didn't hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But I, I think that's like faith. I, Yeah, I think that's actually like going back to like how those kind of procedures. I mean, there's a lot of reasons and I think they all have their nuance, but I think one of the ways that it happens with us is that you're thinking the right way all the way going into it, but then when you walk in the room there's something about the setup that cues you. Like you go into a lot of like muscle memory and you kind of, yeah, are, you're you're thinking about like, you know, step 10 or the hardest part I mean, that's going to slow timed you down. down. Yeah, we yeah, timed exa- out the right, the proper yes. leg and
0: everything, but it's just muscle memory. It's like, okay, yep. you know, it, everything's fine. Boom, boom. Everything's yeah. always fine. But it just takes a small error like that, which, you know, it, it just it would have been so easy to stick the wrong leg. I mean, when mm-hmm. you hear about those cases, you're like, man, who would do the wrong side Who would do that? I mean, I was so I was millimeters away. If it wasn't for my nurse, I I would have had, I I would have done it.
2: So I'm reading through these, and I think the common thread is a lot of these are just basic procedures that led to major complications, Mm. right? You have bleeding after paracentesis. Um, that you know, they had elevated INR, led to DIC and death. You have massive bleed following renal biopsy, which also haunts me. Um, I that's why I hate mm-hmm. renal biopsies.
1: Hate renal biopsies, hate them yeah. too. <laughs> um, I'm a lupus patient, worst
2: death after yes. DVT lysis, hepatic artery You know, dissection. You, you did say that's something there,
0: funny. uh, Aaron, and it's the it's Killed that the small Lord. procedure you don't think anything bad is going to happen. Um, yeah, temporary dialysis catheter. Maybe it goes yep. into the wrong artery, you know, wrong vessel, you know. You know, it right. might, might be working fast. That's a major complication mm-hmm. on such a routine, again, muscle memory thing, just going, you're going fast. You're doing a, a tunnel dialysis catheter exchange, and maybe you might suck some air. Uh, you know, these they small little things, it's the routine things that can really just F you. Let
2: me just pick out. It. Like one that looks sounds interesting. Penetrant catheter. Dude,
3: some of these are scary.
2: Yeah, <laughs> all of them are. Lower limb thrombosis requiring amputation. Yeah. The the medication ones are also scary, right?
1: Uh, I know. Jesus. How about stroke following routine radial UFE?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. You know radial. Yeah. TJ liver biopsy tore through IJ and carotid. Oof. Liver abscess you know? drainage that resulted in death.
1: I think those guys, I think actually that is a procedure I treat with a lot of respect. Like the the liver abscess, I feel like those guys can get sick really quick. Totally. S-
2: same with your dialysis mm-hmm. patients, right? Declots, dialysis.
1: I mean, Lord. Those... That's, that's mine right there that you highlighted. Oh, really? Yeah. So I had a, I had a declot patient. Uh, if I, I can just tell it for a second. Sure. graft. I've declotted it a ton of times, oh, knew man. the guy really well came in as an outpatient. And I don't know if anyone knows like how those hierographs work. They're the easiest things to de- declot in the world. I mean, it's like the simplest procedure. Got it open. And then like, I'm clo- I mean, I'm like holding pressure like as we're like closing. Codes on the table. Does not come back?
0: Yeah. I think it's the number one. I think declots are the number one code proce- procedure that codes for IR. I, I-, I read that somewhere. It might be a black pearl, but it seems true. <laughs> <laughs> I'd believe it. I don't know where I got that black pearl from, but I think it's statistically sound.
2: All right. Well, last thing I want to cover real quick is um, topics on the subject of dealing with or preventing complications that we'd like to hear that, that our audience wants to hear discussed on the show. A few comments here. One uh, audience member would like to hear more about how docs deal with malpractice claims, seeking help for counseling. What are good resources for this? How do you find a lawyer and a, or therapist who specializes in these things? We do have some resources and we and, and we can uh, post those uh with with the show notes.
1: Um yep. and, Gita Pinsa uh, for Gita Pinsa's yeah, podcast. We yeah, should exactly. link to we should, we should also get her on the podcast to talk that about her podcast. Awesome.
2: We should. We should just cover that topic with her You're great uh, mm-hmm. actually. And then she has yeah. great resources. She knows good lawyers and great resources right. and therapists for that for that sort yeah, of thing. Let's get her on. Um an annual Big Three conference on complications and how to fix them would be pure fire. I know that uh, Brian Fisher loves the fire. I emoji, knew it was him too. So <laughs> I'm sure that's him. my um, And guy. Then, uh, Talking about complications and how to facilitate an M&M case presentation, but academic and not a blame game or flexing on how you would never do this. Just like a healthy environment. I agree with that. It, it gets kind of tricky when people get up there and uh, people can be a bit judgy, you know, Uh, about
0: that, you know, conference. I mean, there are conferences that, that, you know, and, and and when another one comes up, uh, like an IR or endovascular meltdown, um, well, we'll, we'll definitely promote it on social media. Um, you know, I'll keep a lookout. Those are my favorite conferences. Agreed. And so I will, I will definitely find when one comes or even help host one. Uh, in person when that comes back and, and, and make that happen.
2: So um, the, the common thread here with these comments are are malpractice uh, discussing malpractice. So I think Mm -hmm. that just lets us know that that we need to cover that topic and it might even be a two or three episode topic. But uh, I think the best way to finish this up here is um, this comment here. Complications aren't discussed enough. So thank you very much for tackling this. I could easily see this as being a multi-episode topic we have rare complications in IR, so we don't get good training about how to deal with them during training. Having a good mentor in your practice helps a lot, and I try to do this for my younger partners now that I'm older. So, nice. uh, along those lines, that's that's sort of the plan this fall is is to have um, some some mentors and and order cool uh, you, know, you know more seasoned attendings come on, kind of talk through complications that they've had, and um, you know just carry on the conversation. And, and like like everybody kind of wants to do is have a a nice open conversation about it so that we can all learn from it. Any, any closing remarks from any of you guys? When I have my first complication, it sounds like I'm going to have a lot of good resources. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. Nice. So uh, nice. good.
3: So I mean, good. I think that's the essence of Back Table,
0: right? We just talk about stuff and, and in a casual way. So I, I think that would really, really fit in with our, our motto in the fall to talk about some complications from some yeah. seasoned
3: veterans. I yeah. think there are a lot of ways we can take this further. Yeah.
1: Agreed. Yeah. yeah. I'll say like, so my closing remarks are like for the younger docs that are out there and some of the seasoned ones, if you have a complication, own it, but don't yes. feel the need to over own it. Like don't accept the whole world on your, on your back. I mean, like you've had a complication, own it with the patient, the referring doc. And then one thing I always do now, if I have a complication, no matter how small I call risk management and get them involved. Um, there's a lot of things that they can do on their end to help it a more, uh, make that experience a little less painful for the procedure or for the uh, patient and their family. So that's like a a tip that I that was passed on to me early on risk management.
2: Yeah, that's a good one. I appreciate that. Thanks guys for coming on. Um always good input from the back table crew. Thank you to our listeners for for tuning in. Uh, again, if you if you missed it, please go back and listen to the episode with Maureen Kohi and Sonny Bagla. That is episode 45. 45. 45. June 2019. 45. <laughs> That's right. Go catch out 45. And um, we will uh, get uh, some resources added to this one and get you some more episodes around this topic. Thanks again. Good night, everybody.